Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and today we are going to talk about the Free State Project. We have with us Varen Swearingen, who is a Christian, a husband, a father, teacher, libertarian, musician, international airline pilot. He was born and raised in California and was first exposed to libertarian ideas in elementary school. And he moved to New Hampshire in 2004 as part of the Free State Project, where he subsequently filled several organizational leadership positions, including the lead organizer for Porkfest. He was a board member, president, national media rep. He's very involved in a Free State Project. Uh, And as a little bit of a uh, trivia, he's also been to every state in the union. And legitimately so, not just like drove through West Virginia for five miles. So, uh, Varen, thanks for joining us. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about, like, for those who haven't heard about the Free State Project, uh, I heard about the Free State Project as I was becoming a libertarian. I thought it was a really uh, cool idea. Uh, is I've heard people describe it. I think people like news reporters describing what people are trying to do. It's like, oh, they're going to try to create the libertopia that, you know, libertarians wish we could have is what really is it though? Yeah, well, it, it is a migration. It's a, um, kind of a mass migration and organized migration of 20,000 libertarians, smaller government, uh, type of people who have pledged to move to New Hampshire and, um, and then after moving exert the fullest practical effort towards the creation of a society in which the maximum role of government is the protection of individuals rights to life liberty and property uh, the project got started in 2001 uh, garnering advanced commitments um, where you would you would sign this statement of intent saying i'll move to the state that's chosen by the first 5000 people to to um, uh, sign up, they'll vote on the state. And then once we get to 20,000, then we'll move. Uh, we got to 5,000 fairly quickly in 2003. Um, and then, um, the, the rate of growth slowed down a bit, but was consistent, uh, for the next, uh, decade and, and some change got to 20,000 a couple of years ago. And, um, but people have been moving all along ever since, um, New Hampshire was selected in 2003. And, uh, so currently, um, there's a little under 5,000 people that we um, think are, are would self-identify as free staters, many of whom have moved from other states, and almost 25,000 who have signed on the dotted line to, to move at some point. So what are some of the things that set the, these free staters apart, um, other than, of course, they're, they're libertarian in those, in those ways, but you know, this, is a, this is a very different way of kind of assembling libertarians in one location and it's for a reason. I mean, New Hampshire was chosen for a reason. You want to go into some of the, some of the rationale behind that? Yeah, sure. Uh, as far as what, you know, free staters themselves have in common, there's really one thing, which is our interest in freedom. Um, that, that 
little second part of the statement of intent the, to create a society in which the maximum role of government is the protection of individuals' rights to life, liberty, and property um, is a kind of unique libertarian um, you know, uh, ethos, similar to the non-aggression principle anyways. And, um, and, and that's what I guess really sets us apart. And let's see, the second part of your question, there were originally 10 candidate states um, and New Hampshire was one of those 10. The proponents for each state, kind of self-appointed if you will, uh, made the case for their states in the ballot paper that was sent out to all of the first 5,000 participants who voted. And New Hampshire won the vote. So really, I mean, the technical reason New Hampshire is it won the vote. But why did it win the vote? Um, there are tons of reasons. In fact, there's a paper on the Free State uh, Project website, 101 Reasons to Move to New Hampshire, and there's really more than 101. But back in 2002, I guess it was, two and three, uh, the people who were promoting New Hampshire as the as the destination for the Free State Project thought, well, let's let's um, come up with why you know what what are the reasons? And there's a lot of them. Um, the accessible political system is one. The late um, existing uh, culture of of freedom is another. We we have one of the lowest tax burdens per capita as a percentage of income of all the fifty states is another. So it's already a very free place and. Uh, offers some significant advantages for people who would like to help it remain free and maybe increase the level of freedom. And so that's why I think it won the vote. Is there something about people that are that live in New Hampshire already that didn't just migrate there that are, is also more conducive to being a free stater? I mean, do you have natives joining your movement? Yeah. And in fact, um, if you go to the first page of the website at fsp.org uh, or freestateproject.org, there's a number on there that says free staters in New Hampshire. Uh, right now it says 4,392. That includes some people who already lived here and didn't have to move. We, we, we have called them various things along the way, friends being, I think, the most uh, recent. And uh, so, you know, those are people who support the smaller government, more freedom uh, aspects of libertarianism, but they just happen to already live here. And that's a small sampling of, of them. I run into people all the time just living here who uh, have, they, they might not even call themselves libertarians, but they have really a very libertarian outlook on life. And that's common in New Hampshire. Uh, it's, it's common in, even in Southern New Hampshire, but it's really common up North. How long has it been the live free or die state? Like I see that on license plates when people from there drive, drive by. And I, I always kind of known that was the motto. Is that how long has that been the case? Do you know? That's a good question. I, if I recall, now you're going to make me get my Google foo out. No. <laughs> if I recall correctly, um, it was the maybe in the 50s that that was officially adopted. Um, but now I want to look it up. Uh, and that's a, that's a segment from a quote. Uh, 1945 is the answer. That's a segment from a quote, actually. And the rest of the quote, from, it was um, John Stark is kind of interesting. Live free or die. Death is not the worst of evils. And the implication there being um, that a life of slavery is terrible. It's an evil thing. So your, your website also says that there are 560 Liberty meetups per year. That sounds like a really large number for yeah. what I think most of us know that New Hampshire is not highly populated. So right. just the idea that there are 560 Liberty meetups, that just sounds like a wonderful idea. Like, that, like a wonderful, like, really? Like, I want to go there just for that. 
Now, just to save anybody the hassle of Googling, the number of days in a year is 365 or 366 <laughs> if it's leap year. So that's more than one a day on average. Now, I don't know this for certain, but it is theoretically possible that a day could go by in New Hampshire where there's not some kind of liberty-oriented meetup, but it wouldn't be probably two in a row. Um, and so one of the funny things is that you, I mean, that's that's what's scheduled probably people have on their schedules. But just roaming around, you run into people um, who are libertarians. And if you meet free staters as, as in the course of moving here uh, or even visiting, you'll just bump into them from time to time. We went to the opening of a new arts uh, school facility here in Keene where I live and bumped into another free stater there. Um, just, you know, every day interactions you tend to run into libertarians which doesn't happen so much in the rest of the world yeah like it's not like you're walking down san francisco and you bump into a fellow libertarian right i mean maybe that could happen i guess so I, I grew up in <laughs> fresno california there's yeah right there's a half a million people in fresno and i knew probably most or all of the libertarians in fresno um yeah at, that, at the time i lived there but how often did i bump into them the only times were when we like made a point of getting together and it was very rare outside of that here it's yeah. Pretty common yeah well that's really cool like I, I grew up in a small community in 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 rural america and you know you run into people that you know and you run into people that that you know you obviously run into your relatives you go to the store you see people you say hi like i just couldn't you know, where I live now, there's, you know, 300,000 people in the county that I live in. And I just couldn't imagine running into libertarians that way. I mean, I do run into a couple, but that's still pretty rare. Like, it's usually because we've decided to get together or something. Right. Yeah. And I think in most places of the country, that's the norm. Um, there, there are probably a handful of places where it would happen from time to time. But I don't think there's anywhere in the world, literally, no joke, that um, it happens more frequently than in New Hampshire. I mean, people bump into each other all the time here who are libertarians. And I would say even, I mean, if that's not encouraging enough, um, the, the thing that really continues to um, please me, surprise me, whatever you want to call it, is running into people that I don't know who aren't free staters, who are just hanging out here in New Hampshire that are really, really libertarian. And just in the course of co the conversation, you realize, wow, these people are not worshiping government, you know, like yeah, right. most of the rest of the country. It's like they're, they don't even know that they're libertarians. Yeah, but that's okay. They, yeah. you know, they, they're just freedom loving people. They're happy to let other people live their lives the way they see fit. And they, they act on that. And that's, that's part of the New Hampshire culture. And I think that's a big part of the reason that New Hampshire won the vote and why people have been, um, generally speaking, pretty happy with moving here. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that New Hampshire had, I think you used the phrase, an accessible government structure. Yeah, yeah. Can you describe that a little bit? Because I'm not sure what you mean by it, and it sounds interesting. So the state of New Hampshire is a, is a state. It has its own government, um, like all the other 50 states. And uh, as a governing, a sovereign governing entity, it has the, the best representation of any governing body on earth. That comes in the form of our low population. So there's about 1.3-ish million people in New Hampshire and the high level of representation, 400 state reps and uh, 24 senators. For example, my neighbor just down the street here is a state rep. Uh, in Keene, there's 20 some thousand in the low 20,000s population and there's seven state reps. So the opportunity to meet those people 
is is high, and they're not paid a lot of money. They get paid a whopping $100 a year. So it's not like a professional thing like in California where an assemblyman represents several hundred thousand people and gets a giant paycheck, and they tend to be professional politicians. That's just not the way it works here in New Hampshire. Is there a big Libertarian Party presence at the state level? There is a Libertarian Party presence. In fact, now, again, for the um, first time in maybe over a decade, there are Libertarian Party uh, state reps. And New Hampshire, I believe, is the only legislative body, uh, state level or higher, that's ever had an LP state rep. And this is not the first time. So like, so the, the political makeup of the representatives for the state itself, are, are they... They're libertarian in the like, you know, the lowercase l libertarian because they have those right. kind of they they tend to have those kind of views or they're friendly to them. Um, is there a large presence of representatives that are like officially LP involved in the Libertarian Party? Or is uh, it no. just that like, no, most of us are pretty libertarian in our views? Yeah, it's the Libertarian Party is uh, not hugely influential. There are a handful of LP state reps now, Mm -hmm. and that's unique. But there are lots of Libertarians, small L, who are members of the state house, and they mostly run as Republicans. There's a couple of Democrats that have shockingly good voting records that are Libertarians, but mostly it's Republicans. Some of those are free staters. I, I I don't know exact numbers right now. There's been 40 or 50 free staters over the years elected to the state house, and there's probably 20 or 30 of them there now. But there's a whole bunch of natives um, or other longtime residents that are very very libertarian. You know, they're t- most of them run as Republicans. So I have one more question to satisfy my curiosity about the political makeup of New Hampshire, and yeah. maybe this is a little rabbit hole that you know we'll we'll go down one more question here, and one of them is. A lot of people who say that they're libertarian and they have like the but maybe not in this area or, you know, they'll say, well, I believe in freedom, but and they'll kind of have their few exceptions. And I'm guessing that, you know, like everybody, a New Hampshire representative is going to have their few exceptions. And so where do where do the people who would be like 90 percent libertarian like that are representatives like? Yeah. Where would they kind of diverge? Like what kinds of issues do they diverge? Is it more, I mean, you've got Vermont very close. And so it's yeah. not like, you know, there's a wall between the states. So there's got to be some leftist influences and there's there's surely going to be some right-leaning influences as well, despite the fact that it's New England. Yeah, the overwhelming majority of the leftist influences um, play out in the Democratic Party here. And where I live tends to be more that way and also around the Dartmouth College area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a couple of places over on the seacoast. And that's t- where you tend to find more of um, modern liberalism, which uh, politically comes in the form of the Democratic Party. Um, and then where you tend to find what what I would call more stereotypical conservatism is in the Republican Party, obviously. Um, but when you start to get higher on the list. So there's an organization here called the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. This is probably helpful information for anybody that's interested in the details. Um, it's a nonpartisan organization and they do a lot of things politically, but one of the, maybe the most important things they do is they read, so volunteers for the NHLA read and rate every bill on its stance and impact on liberty every year. I don't think there's any other statewide organization in the nation that does that. 
And then they produce, um, during the course of the session, they will produce materials for the legislators. But at the end of the session, they produce a report card. How did the reps do? It's not like, um, let's say, the um, NRA's report card or any other single-issue organization. This is a broad-based libertarian thing. And it's libertarians that are involved, not necessarily LP members, but people who are libertarian in, in philosophy. So you can you can read all the data, like what are the bills that they think were high impact and either highly pro or anti-liberty and how did all the legislators vote? I'm not aware of a single issue that is like a big tendency. You know, the one that comes to mind, which is something that libertarians themselves are highly split on would be, what do you do about regulating abortion, for example? where Democrats um, typically would be in the pro-choice camp or the pro-legal abortion camp and Republicans would typically be in the outlaw that. Libertarians are kind of split on that. And so I think you'd find some libertarian Republicans that would say, no, we shouldn't regulate abortion and others that would say, yeah, the right to life is inviolable. Therefore, that falls under protecting life, you know, individuals' rights to life. But aside from that one issue, I don't know where you'd find a split. I think it, it would really vary more from legislator to legislator. But if you want to know, you could look it up at um, nhliberty.org uh, has that kind of data. That's not a, a free state project um, project. You know, they're not affiliated directly with the free state project. But uh, it's a handy way to see kind of how the legislature does. And uh, there's, an, there's an awful lot that score really, really, really well. Yeah. So uh, what would be like the website? You said the organization's name. Uh, what would be the website? Yeah. NHLiberty.org. NHLiberty.org. Yeah. So that would satisfy my curiosity as well. Um, so I'll, I'll go look at that when we're done here and yeah. you know see how the New Hampshire legislature is doing. Uh, so that, w- that would be appealing. So the Free State so here, Project. And, uh, yeah. Here's, no, here's a ahead. follow-up that I think you might find interesting. This is what one of the things I love about New Hampshire is that this particular question, like who's more libertarian than who, um, rather than the argument being, well, this is the libertarian position and you're all a bunch of statists, it's libertarians arguing about which one is the right libertarian position. And that's kind of when you know you've, I don't want to say one because that's that's a big word, but when you know you've arrived where you can have those debates, well, among libertarian reps, which one is the right one? You know, and that yeah. that debate happens all the time here. You're you're you scored a ninety-seven. Well, that's because I think you're wrong <laughs> on your ninety-seven. Like <laughs> I'm the hundred, and you guys are, you know. Ah, uh, okay. Well, you know, I did. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask uh, before we get on to some Free State Project uh, history. You know, a lot of people moved to New Hampshire. A lot of free staters are moving to New Hampshire because of the government's, you know, they believe in the government's right to protect uh, individual rights. Uh, and so that sort of just puts them automatically in the way you describe it in the minarchist camp of libertarianism. But do, I mean, are there anarchists up there and you guys argue? Yeah, well, I was, I was having a conversation with a uh, libertarian luminary once upon a time many years ago. And he said to me, the presence of the word maximum in the statement of intent is really a novel innovation uh, that he hadn't heard of before that he really, really liked. Uh, that was David Nolan. And um, and that set apart the, um, the Free State Project statement of intent from other things. It makes kind of a big tent. So the maximum role of government is the protection of individuals' rights to life, liberty, and property. And those who think that the government shouldn't do that much certainly are welcome. It shouldn't do any more than that. So that's that's kind of the top line, if you will. The top line is 
we're not looking for people who think the government should run wars or, um, you know, feed the homeless or whatever else. So what have been some of the like challenges that the Free State Project has has been has encountered in the past i mean it's been almost two decades uh i would say it's pretty successful like you said when when people are arguing over who's more libertarian uh rather than the non-libertarians and that you have over twenty thousand signers i mean you've hit a lot of goals yeah uh, in in that time what have been some of the challenges that that you've that you faced well, a big challenge was um, kind of in the in-between times with the rate of recruiting. So it's for me personally, it's wonderful to see a greater than 20,000 number. I spent a lot of years scratching my head trying to figure out, and, and this is weird to me, but how do you get somebody to sign on to a project like this? And it's weird to me because it doesn't seem like much. There's 300 million people in America, even if only 1% of those people are libertarian. That's 3 million potential candidates, less the ones that live in New Hampshire, um, who would sign up to say, I'll move to another state. That's really all it is. We would cross a state line in defense of freedom. Some people are willing to go to war to risk their lives, to invest a lot of money, but most people aren't willing to do actually anything at all. Um, Tangible that's part of a realistic plan to preserve and increase the level of freedom. And so it was weird to me that it was hard to find people that would say, okay, yeah, I mean, I may have grown up someplace else, but I'm willing to move. We were certainly willing to do that. And there've been lots of others, but getting 20, just getting to that 20,000 number was a monumental challenge, a bigger challenge than I ever imagined it would be. I had uh, two stints as president of the organization and we tried a lot of things, you know, be it outreach at events or, or like you mentioned earlier, pod, podcast advertisements. Um, our events are a big draw, and they are one of the things that does tend to, you know, push people over the edge. They come to a pork fest or a liberty forum, and decide, oh man, this is great. You know, I, I didn't believe it was like this. I didn't know it was like this. We're moving. You know, sign on the dotted line. But it's hard to get to that twenty thousand number, and we did finally. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, another challenge we've had is is um, trying to preserve the message, and 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 I guess I'll say the image. There's not really one image that the Free State Project tries to promote, and there's not really one type of person. You mentioned kind of the anarchist crowd, um, or even the I'll say the pacifist crowd. Um, certainly, those people are welcome. Um, people argue about well, should people who are participating in political action be welcome? Because maybe that could exceed the, you know, maximum role of government is the protection of, and so on and so forth. But, you know, the Free State Project itself tries to welcome really as many people as as possible. But there's been issues with the style or character of activism. Some forms of demonstrations and things have ruffled feathers here and there. And that's been a bit, bit of a challenge. The government itself, I, I don't know that I'd say that it's a challenge, but there have been some fascinating interactions along the way with the state and local governments doing things that have impacted the Free State Project's progress. For example, when a couple of years ago, there was a big push to get these Bearcat armored personnel carrier vehicles rolled out to police departments across the country. And Concord, New Hampshire was one of those. And and in their grant request, they mentioned three groups as potential domestic terrorist groups, one of which was the Free State Project. Now that could seem intimidating, I mean, at first glance, it probably was, but it turns out that that, <laughs> that, uh, that 
completely backfired on the Concord Police Department and they wound up issuing a retraction, correcting the grant request and apologizing to the Free State Project. So that one wound up working in our favor. But there have been things like that that have come up, you know, from time to time. What is the demographic makeup of people who decide to move? I mean, I, in my situation, you know, as much as I would love to move to New Hampshire for you know a handful of reasons, being a libertarian, being one of them, the type of place that it is being another, you know, the, the, the landscape and everything, that's the kind of, that's the kind of world that appeals to me. This just not in the cards for me, at least, you know, maybe not for another decade or two. Uh, so I can just imagine, you know, people having really good reasons they just can't move even if they want to. So who who's actually coming? Yeah. yeah, there are there are reasons. I mean, there I guess probably one of the bigger reasons is family that uh, ties people down. They have maybe aging parents or something like that. Um, but in terms of who has come, I mean, it's been all over the map. A lot of people would like to stereotype libertarians as young, angry men, young, angry white males. That's not really what we see here. Now, certainly there are some young, you know, white males that moved to New Hampshire. It's not that there are none of them, but there are a lot of families. We moved with our two kids, my wife and I, at the time, two kids. We have four now. We've had two more here. And uh, there's been lots of families, some rather large families, um, lots of couples, lots of singles, single women, single men, um, a fair number of retirees. So it's really been all over the map, a lot of entrepreneurs. One thing that has that makes it easier, that's maybe a recurring theme, and this is certainly not an absolute, but people who are either entrepreneurs or um, their jobs are portable or they telecommute or like me, I fly all over the world, doesn't matter where I live. Um, if, if your job is easier to take with you, that's one thing that tends to make it easier for people to move. Although we've had lots of people that have just found new jobs here. But, um, but outside of that, it's been really all over the map in terms of demographics. Yeah, and there's a lot of information on uh, fsp.org or freestateproject.org about, you know, what your community has been doing, the free staters have been doing to help others make it, make it easier to move there. Yeah, definitely. There's um, there are jobs and real estate resources. And in fact, there's several free staters who are realtors, one of whom, in fact, has been a state rep and I think he's running again. So there are people who are ready to help with the practicalities of the move. And then, of course, jobs, resources for for many people who have like very specific careers, you know, you probably know what it's going to take to get a job. There are some people who uh, moved to New Hampshire but got jobs in, you know, Boston or or nearby. Um, but but there's plenty of resources to help. Um, I think the thing that is fairly consistent is there was a strong will to do this and the people who were determined to do it have done it. Hey folks, if you love listening to our podcast, you may want to check out our monthly webinars. Every month we have a different speaker take a deeper dive into topics relevant to libertarian Christians. If you've missed some of our webinars so far, well, don't worry, you can still download them. Visit our website at libertarianchristians.com slash events. And now let's get back to the show. So one of the things that kind of sets you apart as well is that you're also a dedicated, committed Christian. And uh, you told me before we went on the air that you've, you've grown up you know, Christian and almost a libertarian all your life uh, since a young age. And so I, I can imagine that being in an area where there are a lot of incoming or existing libertarians, you may not run across a lot of Christian libertarians. So, or maybe you do. So why don't you share with us that experience? Yeah. 
maybe it'd be relevant to give a little bit of a backstory as to our outlook when we moved here. And and I got in, I, I caused a little bit of controversy uh, before I was ever on the board of the Free State Project uh, saying, and I don't remember the exact quote, but something along the lines of, as far as my priorities, it's God first, uh, government second. In other words, my view of government flows from my theology. There were some people that kind of raised an eyebrow at that, and they're like, "Well, is this guy what? Is this guy a theocrat or what?" Um, and the answer is no. But we came here um, not really knowing anything other than New England is kind of the darkest corner of America with respect to Christianity. It's the least churched, at least on paper. And I and I would say boots on the ground. That's a accurate assessment. Um, I work out of Tennessee a lot. It looks a lot more churched, anyways, than New Hampshire. So uh, we didn't really know what we were going to find, but we did know if a bunch of libertarians are moving here, a lot of them will not be Christians. Libertarians, strangely to me, are not notoriously uh, Christian um, on the whole. Uh, It's a mixed group. And Christians are not notoriously libertarian, so we didn't know what we'd find in churches here. But we decided that we would come here and try to do our best to um, you know, bring the message of freedom to Christians and the message of Christ to libertarians. And so that's what we've done. It turns out um, we moved here in uh, late 2004, almost 14 years ago this month, I think. And we toured around a bunch of churches here in the southwest New Hampshire kind of region. And we found a, a church that we've been at ever since then. I won't say it's a libertarian church, but there are a lot of people there who are very libertarian. And um, even the pastor says things that, that I don't think you'd get away with saying in, let's say, the big conservative churches, like, um, you know, government is not the answer. And, uh, you know, we may wish for for good results and pray for good results with uh, government, but we trust in God, not in government. And those kinds of things don't come out of a lot of pulpits, but they do here. And it's not because I'm needling him saying, hey, you know, God is God and government is not. It's because he already understands that. So we're very blessed to be a a part of that environment and have discovered, you know, people in our own church who are very libertarian to begin with. A handful of people who are free staters have stopped by our church and and various other churches around the state. Um, It is hard to find a, a what I would call a good church or a good body of believers that um, mostly refrains from promoting the government as God kind of idol. Um, but they are out there. And so that part is encouraging. Um, on the whole, though, New Hampshire needs, you know, like the rest of the country, more people that uh, appreciate freedom. But even more importantly than that, more people who have turned their hearts back towards God. And I don't think that, um, again, I've gotten in trouble for saying things like this. By trouble, I mean some libertarians who are not Christian or anti-Christian would take issue with me saying this. But I don't believe that a sustainable free society is really even possible without a populace that worships God and not government. Have you ever used your connection with a libertarian and your shared views of freedom and freedom of choice and will to uh, sort of witness to them? As a Christian? Yeah, so we do that um, in, a, in a sort of organized way. Uh, interestingly enough, so the Free State Project puts on two events every year, the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which is a summertime sort of campy, outdoorsy thing, typically in June up in the northern part of the state. And then in the winter, usually February, give or take a month, the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, which is a hotel convention thing that got started a little bit later, uh, maybe 2007, I think. 
the first pork fest was in 2004. I went to that one. I've been to all of them. And not me, but somebody else arranged for a guy to come on Sunday morning, the last day, and have a Christian church service. And I thought, holy cow, that's fantastic. And, you know, there were a handful of people there, maybe 30 people. Um, starting the following year and through now, I have made sure that that's happened every year since then. Sometimes it's been a smaller group. Sometimes it's been a bigger group. You know, it, it really varies from year to year. But over the last several years, we've tried to have an organized presence all week at Porkfest to share what is this correlation between Christianity and liberty. And in fact, we also run um, a panel we've run two or three times over the last handful of years that's a general religion and liberty panel. What do various religious views have to say about government? And those kinds of things um, can be helpful at sort of, I guess I would say, softening the resistance to um, religion is anti-liberty per se. Um, and in particular, Christianity, I think, um, f- frankly, lends itself to the libertarian view of, of politics, and, and I have a hard time coming to any other conclusion. And so that's a message that I try to promote, both amongst libertarians and Christians. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's what we're all about here at LCI is, is making the connection for people that it is the most consistent expression of of thought, of Christian political thought. Because yeah. I, I often have a hard time for people, especially for when I talk with people on the left and knowing that the values that they have, I, I have a hard time understanding why they don't give libertarian a fair hearing. I can, I'm fine if they don't they don't agree, but it's like they, they sort of – you know, eschew what we believe because it's either over individualistic or something. I'm like, we're, we're very, you know, we believe in peace. We believe in, uh, no empire. Uh, we're anti, we're anti-war. Yeah. Like what is there to not, what, what's there to not like about us? <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, some of the leftist opposition to at least economic policy of libertarians and, and free staters here in New Hampshire falls along those same lines where they will object to, well, you're just a bunch of selfish fill in the blank, you know, um, this smear and that. Um, and one of the funny thing, well, it's not funny, I guess it's tragic things is they don't really know the people. Now, it's easy to find an, an example and you can do that certainly of leftists <laughs> uh, or conservatives, that is horrible, right? Um, and so if you want to find a horrible example of a libertarian, it's possible to do that. But if you meet a, a wide cross-section of free staters or libertarians here in New Hampshire especially, and this, this I believe is more true here than other places, what you will find is an exceptionally generous group of people who um, cooperate voluntarily. They're not... Um, promoting, you know, big government social programs or or whatever, but but they do have the compassion that helps out the neighbor, which is a very New Englandy sort of thing. That to me kind of nullifies the argument that libertarians are a bunch of selfish people. Rather, we think that it is right to choose to be compassionate and generous. And as a Christian, we're called to do that. That's a calling um, ought not be a government mandate, you know, not out of compulsion. Paul writes explicitly, um, and and I think a lot of people just kind of glance over that. I don't understand why people think that, you know, just because you're in favor of individual freedom and that sort of is a may, maybe overemphasized aspect for some people. Maybe some libertarians go too too much in that direction, but it's not for bad reasons. 
that just because you're like an individualist doesn't mean that you don't care about other people. I'm like, it's like, don't you, do you not think for three seconds that when we say that we're also saying that we also believe other people are individuals? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, you know, the first thing is that we respect other people's rights. I mean, it's, it's, it's really contradictory to say um, we think people are better than a bunch of individuals and therefore, so we're going to, you know, squash all of their rights. Um, That's a goofy notion, but but even beyond that, the actual practice is voluntary compassion and giving and support for all sorts of causes. Um, you know, whether it be meals at Thanksgiving or coats or blankets or, or highway cleanup or, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, it, the list goes on and on and on and on. And a lot of things that people just do individually, you know, we help out with people who have, um, you know, are struggling with pregnancy, who, uh, you know, can are thinking about suicide, who... Uh, you know, our food insecure. There's all kinds of things mm. that we do here locally. And, and I, I generally don't talk a whole lot about that because that's just something that I do yeah. uh, as a part of my calling as a, as a Christian, yeah. as a follower of Christ. When you, when you say we do that here and you know, you live in, you said you live in Keene. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say we, who's we for in those, you know, kind of examples you just were mentioning. Yeah. Well, I, I probably muddied the water, but um the, there's there's the big we like free staters and libertarians in general who do some things that are charitable along those lines, um, you know supporting education for example. There's a large scholarship fund here that a lot of libertarians donate to um, that provide scholarships for um, you know K through 12 education for for families to be able to afford um, private schooling or offset homeschool expenses that kind of thing. Um, that wouldn't otherwise be able to lower income yeah. families. Um, so there's things like that. That's just one example. Yeah. There's a lot of others um, that a lot of libertarians contribute to. Um, on the flip side of the coin, there are things that we, meaning my, me, my family, you know, my wife and I and my kids, for that matter, uh, the older two work and they contribute money and other resources to not just a church, our church that we go to, but also um, various other local, you know, missions, if you will. The Pregnancy Resource Center, the New Hampshire Food Bank, and so on it goes. So, you know, as you were talking about free staters and people doing things outside of the scope of government, you know, like taking care of each other and doing things for, you know, the poor and those who those who have needs. Um, one, of the, one of the, I had this kind of like question come to my mind. I want to run it by you because I have often, you know, kind of answered to a lot of people, well, if the government doesn't do it, who's going to do it? Or... Is, is it wrong for the government to provide for the poor? Uh, or, or some when anybody asks you know questions along those lines, one of the things that I kind of include in my answer is for people to think about alternatives to what does it look like for you know for welfare to happen or you know any of those things. And one of the answers that I give is to think about the the level of government that provides those those services. And so it occurred to me as I'm listening to you describe a bunch of libertarians moving to a, a particular location in the country, uh, maybe maybe this has a, a particularly unique you know way of way of looking at it. And I guess we boiled down to an actual question here. So I can imagine when when someone says, "Should the government do this?" Uh, my my default answer is, "Well, no, it shouldn't." But that doesn't answer the question, well, what level of government? And so, for instance, I can imagine, you know, the your your town of Keene is about 23,000 people. That's a pretty large number of people. 
but there's a lot of smaller communities in New Hampshire that are probably in the couple thousand or maybe even smaller range. And I can imagine someone making a case that a community of a smaller size and even up to the size of a 23,000 you know, town would say, well, you know what, at this level, it's okay for us to tax ourselves and help those who are really, you know, in, in, in need instead of, you know, pushing it up to the state level or pushing it up and relying on federal funds and things like that. And the, the fact that there's a lot of people who believe that the government, and especially the federal government, and of course the state government, because you're talking about that, uh, that the government shouldn't provide, you know, some of those services that most people just kind of assume that it ought to. You know, for instance, we'll just use welfare as the example. Are what do you think of the idea of like pushing it like the the more local the better or the less egregious the the intrusion is? I mean, what do you think of that that thought? I mean, is is there a sense in which in New Hampshire a bunch of libertarians getting together and saying, hey, you know, our th- our five thousand person town, you know, we, we, we kind of think that this is a good thing for us to do, but we don't think that it's a good thing for the state to do. Yeah, there's a strong sentiment of local is better, um, certainly amongst the conservatives. And I th- an argument can be made that in some respects, local is better, but uh, local governments can be rather tyrannical, especially when it comes to schools. Schools in New Hampshire have been very decentralized and still are, although in the last 20 years, there's been um, some transfer of funding um, to the state. And that was a result of a bunch of lawsuits that got started in about the 1980s. Fortunately, the outcome of that was not that the state took over the whole funding of education. Um, Unfortunately, they did take over some of the funding and it's just redistributed some of it from, you know, some towns to other towns that were less well off, but the overwhelming majority of it um, is still locally funded. And uh, here in Keene, for example, we have the second highest property taxes in the state. One thing that people don't know, and if anybody's thinking about moving to New Hampshire, before you do, you might want to think about this, um, is where in New Hampshire and are local like property taxes important to you? Because they vary significantly from town to town. Um, The highest tax rate town in the state has a tax rate of about 4% per year, a mill rate of 40. The lowest is less than 10 or less than 1% per year. So it's it's a, about a five times, you know, range of tax rates, property tax rates. And a lot of that's driven by schools. The reason that the town that I live in has such high property taxes is, is mostly because of the schools. So local hasn't fixed that problem, at least not here. And so my answer would be rather than looking at what level of government is best, although I do think that's important, I would go back to the best model being the consensual model. And there's strong evidence to support, especially with respect to education, that a consensual model would work. And education is an enormous uh, portion of government spending nationally and locally. And, and it's, I think, ripe for this sort of thing. And it's something that we've worked on here in New Hampshire, where if we can come up with voluntary ways to help fund education, that that then allows people to decide the extent to which they want to do that. You know, are we going to continue to tax homeschoolers, for example, which is something we do, unfortunately? Are we going to tax retirees who have no kids? You know, how, how are we going to do that? And, and our homeschoolers or retirees or singles or whatever – are they going to step up to the plate and help fund education for families that can't afford to pay, you know, retail rates or whatever it is? Uh, I think the answer is yes, that they will step up to the plate to some extent anyways. 
But more importantly, that the voluntary funding method really is the best for most things. There are probably some things where you do need to sign, you know, like my street, for example. I think everybody needs to pay for this street. And, you know, there are contractual ways to do that that aren't imposed coercively, let's say, after the fact. Yeah. You know, when you buy a house, you, you could have an agreement that's made. But for the most part, voluntary funding, I think, is the best um, the best way, regardless of what level it happens at. Yeah, so the more local, the better, and the best local is the individual. Absolutely, yeah. That's the hyper local. Yep. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, right. So, okay. Uh, well, Varen, thank you for joining us to talk about the Free State Project. I've always been intrigued by what's going on there. Um, just before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, what are your two favorite, like when someone asks you in an elevator, why should you move to New Hampshire? Let's say they're already a libertarian. They, they, don't, they don't have a problem with that. Uh, why should they move to New Hampshire? What are your two favorites? Well, there's no place else on earth that has a higher concentration of libertarians per capita than New Hampshire. No place else this size anyways. That I would say is the number one reason. Societies look the way they do because the people that live in them tolerate and and to a lesser extent act to create them that way. So there's nowhere else that there's thousands and thousands of libertarian activists, not just people that are hanging out, but people that are doing something to create a freer society. So if you want to live in a free society, if you're actually serious about that, this is the place to be. Um, and the way you can join is go to fsp.org slash join and the statement of intents right there. It, it's That's all that you're saying is you'll move to New Hampshire to work towards the creation of a society in which the maximum role of government is the protection of individuals' rights to life, liberty, and property. Very simple. And then you can come here and work together with all of us. And it's a lot of um, fun. I'll say fun. It's a lot of fun, but also other kinds of enjoyable to be in a place like this where you'll run into libertarians, you'll run into people who care about freedom, um, and you can live a life where voluntarily we choose how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of each other and are more free from the kinds of government that um, takes you know more and more of your money and tells you more and more what to do, um, certainly than any place else in America. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I think libertarians ought to think about. You can bang your head against the wall alone, uh, <laughs> or you can come here with a whole bunch of us, have a nice time, and and actually make a difference instead of just wishing you could make a difference. That's, that's a pretty good pitch, man. Like you're making me rethink my uh, my priors about why why come I can't on, come <laughs> on up, man. You know, somebody somebody made a comment to me, and this is a this is a phrase that stuck out in my mind. Um, and and actually, I, I gave him the seed, and he gave it back to me. It says, "Where does liberty fit in your hierarchy of needs?" That's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Well, thank you for joining us and uh, for, for planting that seed in, I think, our listeners' minds. Like, maybe maybe there is a place to move to that that will be a far less frustrating place to live. Absolutely. And if you want to come take a look without signing on the dotted line, certainly I'd encourage you to come to Porkfest or Liberty Forum. You find information about that on the Free State Project's website at fsp.org. And uh, they're great times. And look me up. I'm here. Excellent. Well, we'll link to those on our show notes page as well. Thanks for joining us, Farron. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you, and I hope we get to uh, have some time face-to-face here one of these days. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. 
You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Thank you.